0: Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the Friday edition of the Whitfield Report. I am your host Sam Whitfield, pre-recording this from uh NGC Studios here in South Florida. I want to thank you so much for joining me uh today wherever you are in the past, present, future hour. Ladies and gentlemen, before we uh get started with the show, I'd do want to uh just make a couple of quick not really announcements but updates. Uh the reason I'm doing this show today on Friday is uh because I didn't get to do the Thursday podcast like usual. The reason for that as I explained on Twitter was because of a family uh situation I wouldn't really call it an emergency, but it it was still a situation. Uh, last night my grandmother, uh, went into the hospital because, uh, she was experiencing some pain, and, uh, you know, of course when an elderly person is experiencing pain and feels like they need to go to the hospital, uh, that's not good, um... So, she went to the hospital last night. They're, I think they're keeping her until tomorrow for observation um, at the time I'm recording this. Maybe she'll be out later tonight, but I'm not sure. Uh, but last I heard, she's doing pretty well. She's uh in good spirits. You know, nothing is really nothing really happened, like, she didn't have a heart attack or anything, but, you know, she was experiencing pain, and they still wanted to check her out to see what was going on, so, uh, hopefully everything is well, like I said, uh, but, you know, upon hearing that news last night, it was still, it was still one of those things that kind of, uh, you know, took the wind out of my sails a little bit, and, to be honest, I just... After hearing that, I didn't feel like doing a show. It wasn't that I didn't feel like doing a show, I just felt that I couldn't do... That I wouldn't be able to do my usual best show like I usually like to try and do. Uh, but she's doing better, hopefully, so thank you all who uh, sent your thoughts and your prayers and just gave me support last night and have continued to send your support it really means a lot to me and to the family so uh, I cannot thank you guys enough for that that's you know you guys are the best not only are you guys funny and witty but you also have a whole lot of heart in this audience you're savage people just like I am but uh you've got heart as well so I appreciate that uh contact info as usual uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at SamW underscore NDC. Hashtag Sam's Savages, hashtag Whitfield Report. You can follow me on Gab at SamWhitfield. And uh, I'm also, I'm actually using Gab a little bit again. And I'm now using their, uh, new tool, Dissenter, which is also pretty cool. But, uh, you can follow me on there. Also, uh, theseandwitfield.com is my website and I do have an article that I'm writing on there, uh, right now that I'll tell you about in a little bit later in the show. You'll understand why. And, uh, facebook.com forward slash Whitfield Report. I don't know if, you know, people really go on Facebook anymore, you know, to like pages and whatnot, especially with the uh, algorithm being so sketchy, but, you know, I do have a page, so if you're over there, going like that. Uh Paypal.me forward slash WhitfieldPod if you'd like to uh, super t- chat slash support the show. And anchor.fm forward slash report if you want to subscribe to the audio podcast and make a monthly contribution over there as well. Alrighty, folks, so, uh, yesterday, well, I wanted to talk talk about yesterday for the Thursday edition, uh, I'm going to talk to you about today, and basically, I wanted to address the 100-pound elephant in the room in the world of podcasting right now, which seems to be the, uh, Joe Rogan, Alex Jones podcast. That uh, took place earlier in the week. Now I did not know that this was uh, going to happen when uh, when I heard about it. Like it, it popped in, up in my news feed, and I'm like, "Whoa, Alex is back on JRE." And uh, I I watched parts of it, but you know how Joe's pod podcasts are. There they're, uh, they're Usually pretty long, and so I usually just end up waiting for them to, uh, that was just my iPad that dropped. Um, I usually just end up waiting for them to, uh, come out onto the audio podcast feed, and I listen to them that way. And, uh, honestly, folks, I haven't finished the entire uh episode but so far it's it's been a trip um as usual when alex and joe get together now this brings up a more important uh topic relating to joe rogan because ever since joe had jack dorsey on the podcast it seems like a lot of people particularly in our community, not just ROTC, but just kind of in the conservative-slash-libertarian podcast sphere, they won't stop, you know, shitting on Joe Rogan for having Jack Dorsey on. And I seem to be in the minority of people where I honestly don't think that Joe's interview with Jack Dorsey was all that egregious or bad. And I know I'm going to be in the minority here, and I know that a lot of people already have their minds made up about Joe Rogan. Uh, some of you, I understand that I'm not going to be able to persuade uh, some of you here. That's fine. I'm not looking to really persuade anyone. I'm just kind of... But I am asking for people to at least listen to what I have to say and hear me out as to what Joe Rogan is all about, kind of my theory and kind of my understanding of Joe Rogan as I've been listening to him for the last three years, roughly. So here's the, here's the thing about Joe Rogan just in general. He's a guy who has everyone on from every uh, spectrum, it seems like, uh, of the political aisle. I mean, he'll have uh, Alex Jones on one episode, who's, you know, pretty far, far right. Uh, some normies would consider him alt-right, but, you know, Alex isn't in that category, he, you know, he is a bit of a conspiracy gook, but I wouldn't call him out alright. Uh then Joe will have someone like Jack Dorsey on, who is very far to the left, and, you know, right-wing Twitter will kind of, conservative Twitter will freak out, or whatever, and he'll, you know, Joe will have someone like... Tulsi Gabbard on, and then Roseanne Barr, and all sorts of people who are, uh, you know, some of them are very controversial. Some of them are comedians. Oftentimes, I'll have a lot of his friends. But bottom line, point being, I think Joe Rogan is a guy who just wants to have a dialogue with people on his podcast from multiple viewpoints. He's one of the people that, rather than just, you know, talking about, oh, we need to hear multiple viewpoints, you know, we need to have a more fair and balanced, uh, you know, dialogue in the media, he actually is having a pretty fair and balanced dialogue in the media. I know some of you might not agree with, agree with me on that, but look at who his... You know, look at how often his guest list changed. I mean, he has both liberals and conservatives on. And it's a pretty fair mix of people, actually. Now, do I, do I agree with everything that Joe Rogan says? No, I think Joe Rogan is a little too socially liberal. Uh, I don't think he really understands the whole concept of uh that, you know, basic uh income thing or what or whatever. Um and there are the things that he's pretty socially liberal and I don't agree with either. But uh because Joe is at least willing to give people like Alex Jones or Ten Nugent or other, you know, people who we shouldn't quote unquote be giving a platform to according to the mainstream media. I'm willing to, to, uh, not really give Joe a pass, but, you know, accept, accept what he's doing. I, I think what he's doing in terms of creating a dialogue is very helpful in a time where our media is extremely polarized. Whether you are on one side of the aisle or not, you can't deny that that seems to be the case. You know, we, we kind of live in a, in a left-right paradigm. And, uh, as my friend Joshua Johnson likes to say, uh, there is a realignment going on where people who are on the left and on the right are starting to come together, the smart ones at least. And even if we don't agree with each other on everything, we try and find common ground and at least start a respectful dialogue. And I think that's what Joe Rogan is doing. Um, Now, by all means, I don't think he's beyond criticism. I understand and I, I agree some of the criticisms that people had with uh, Joe deleting comments on the Jack Dorsey video. I think that was a little weird, but I don't even know if that was Joe. I know, you know, that could have been Jamie or someone else who works for Joe as well. Joe does not seem to be the type to uh delete comments himself. I wouldn't think, anyway. Uh, as far as, you know, copyright claiming videos, uh, with his content even though they're under for use, like, I don't like that, really, either, but at the same time, I mean, as long as he's not, like, mainly striking videos down like Feld Entertainment is, and just doing the, the copyright claim thing, I don't really see a problem, and I might be in the minority in that case, but, uh... You know, he copyright claims all my videos whenever, uh, you know, I play a club of them, even if it's in fair use. And uh to be honest, I don't really care all that much personally because uh, more of the money I make is off the audio podcast. And, you know, I'm not eligible for YouTube monetization yet. I only have... 200 something subscribers at this point. So uh you know guys please uh subscribe and and the more people we can get subscri- subscribed, you know, then when you want then when you want to make that argument about Joe Rogan copyright claiming, uh then I may, might be a little more receptive to uh hearing that argument, guys. And uh but uh also, as as far as this whole argument that uh, you know, there's this whole controversy now that Alex and Joe they they staged this big uh you know fight between each other on the internet and to boost uh you know both of their uh, personas and that we all got played and whatnot by their uh, internet war. And look. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that they staged this, uh... You know... Melodrama between them. I don't think that was the case at all. Here, here's... What I think that happened. I, I think... I think Alex legitimately got pissed at Joe... For, uh... You know... Not defending him... Right away when, uh... Alex got deplatformed. Uh... Alex, as near as I can tell, said some stuff about Joe. Joe said some stuff back on his podcast But Alex. It became a whole melodrama, and I, I do believe it was real, but then I, I I do believe the story that they called each other and talked things out and, and made up, because they're friends. And look, the reason I say that is because if you've ever been in a friendship or other relationship with, with someone else and, um, you know, you might not always get along with your friend. And sometimes melodrama likes that, ha- like that happens. Uh, you know, there's miscommunication or whatever. Honestly, I, I, the one criticism I do have of both of them during that whole uh melodrama was it it just seemed so uh juvenile the way they went about it you know like just talking to each other over the internet like that they should have called each other like months ago and made up so you know i i get pe- people's annoyance but i don't think that this whole thing was staged so um, and I, I don't think either of them are, are above criticism either. I think that if you're, uh, you know, if, if you can be objective, you have the right to criticize Joe Rogan, and I think you should be objective in criticizing, uh, Alex Jones too. I don't think as a, a host, I know I'm certainly not exempt from, uh, criticism. And, uh, you know, people are allowed to disagree with me. And, uh, have different opinions than me. I'm not going to, uh, Owen Benjamin people and ban them and call them horrible, nasty names because they disagree with my points or disagree with the style of my show. You know, if they, if they, if someone really doesn't like my show, God bless them. That's fine. If you know, if I'm that much much of a nuisance, they should just unsubscribe. Or whatever. Um But overall I just I just don't think that the Joe Rogan Alex Jones podcast. I think it was good. I don't think it should have been made into quite as much of a big deal as it was. And I'm glad that it happened. And like I said uh, on Twitter, I don't mind Alex Jones having Jack Dorsey on if he's going to have people like Ted Nugent or Alex Jones on. If he was just having liberal guests on all the time, I could maybe understand some of the more, some of the gripes, uh, that people have with Joe Rogan. But, uh, you know, so far he seems pretty balanced. It, you know, and by all means, if there's something I'm missing here about Rogan, or, you know, if I'm missing like some huge point, message me and tell me about it, you know, or like contact me on Twitter or something and let me know. I'm just giving my uh, perspective on things but I'm always open to hearing other uh opinions on this topic. So that's what I wanted to say on uh Rogan and I I don't want to beat the horse to death but uh overall, you know, I'm I'm just glad that he and uh, Alex were able to have that conversation. It's been fun to listen to and uh you know, they're they're both at they're both characters, ladies and gentlemen. what can I say? All right, um so another thing I wanted to uh cover speaking of YouTube and podcasts and whatnot. I uh I found an interesting clip on YouTube. Of, uh, Sam Tripoli, the comedian, uh, you know, the stand-up comedian who is, uh, now, I think he's now more famous because people, uh, imitate him, so, well, uh, Sam Tripoli, okay, alright, you know, that that's kind of his, his whole thing. Um, Sam Tripoli, a few weeks ago... He has a group podcast, which I forget the name of. Let me, let me look at the clip roster here. Uh, I, I think it's called like Slam Dunk Sports or something like that. But, uh, anyway, on this podcast, Sam Triple A, uh, went hard at Judd Apatow and called him a Trojan horse for, uh, being Really, the SJW and, uh, you know, uh, helping this SJW crap manifest itself in stand up colony. I'm really glad that Triple A called out on on that, called uh, Apatow out, out on it. Uh, because here's the thing, folks, and this kind of goes back to the Joe Rogan uh, thing, too, I was talking about. I don't really care if someone is on the left or the right. I mean, I, I can, that if they're on the left or if they're more liberal, obviously I'm going to uh, disagree with them more, you know, or or if they're conservative, I'm going to, you know, agree with them more. But there is a, But now in America, we have a huge problem with just the left going absolutely SJW. And it's ruining stand-up comedy, and it's ruining, uh, things that should not be political in nature. At all. And, uh, Sam Tripoli, I know he's, I know he's a liberal. I know, I know he's a liberal, okay? But, uh, the fact that he's speaking out against political Crackness and all this BS and stand-up comedy, calling Judd Apatow out for it is uh, really good. This this clip is about two weeks old, but I just had to play it for you because under because it underscores my uh, point about you know how we're taking back the culture from these politically correct nut jobs. Uh, Cut number one. Go. Oh, it's called... Uh, the podcast is called Punch Drunk Sports. That's right, folks. Punch Drunk
1: Sports. Views expressed about Judd Apatow, Sam Triple, Sam Oh, uh, Fucking Jimmy Schubert's available for any time, for any kind of role on Crashing on HBO.
2: I watched the latest episode of Crashing. I don't know if you've seen oh. it. Oh, Oh. it's the fucking worst thing.
1: We'll put a pin in it. Why? Why did you bring that up here? Because it's a tease. It's a tease, bro. (laughs) Now now I'm curious. Is it a Me Too episode? Is that what you guys are talking
2: about? Okay, uh, I talked about it earlier, but uh, the TV show Crashing,
1: uh, uh, produced by Judd
2: Apatow and Pete Holmes, Holmes. they released an episode yesterday.
1: It's so over. Jesus. No, fuck you. Fuck you. Do you know what the worst fucking job in this whole club is? It's working the fucking green room. Because you guys think that we all want to talk to you and we don't. Oh, God. We really don't.
2: Stop it. Stop! No, it. no, it gets more uncomfortable. Okay.
3: I hear you, all right? I apologize. Look, don't tell Gavin, would you? Because, you know, I got to work this club. This is how I make a living. Besides, you hit on me in the first place.
1: Okay. Oh,
0: God. Now, before this, there's a... Uh, Okay, by the way, uh, quick disclaimer, folks, I do have to say that I've never seen this show. But, uh, you know, seeing as what a big lefty uh, Judd Apatow is, uh, yeah, it's not. I mean, I trust Sam and all of the rest of these guys to do a pretty good breakdown of this uh, crashing show or whatever the hell it's called.
2: Lee, the comic, goes on stage. He's emceeing, and she basically is makes fun of burns, burns his whole set, making fun because it's it's somewhat misogynistic, and he's talking about hooking up with chicks and and it, they it's it's filmed at the West Nyack location. They call it the Chuckle Hut. And then Dove goes up, and he's trying to do his jokes, and the crowd's just looking at him. They're shaking their heads, they're booing, and he's just like a rock and roll comic. He likes to have shots afterwards, and the, afterwards they're they're in the parking lot. Those days are over. Okay. It's a different era, and it was the most uncomfortable fucking episode. I, I go, it's doesn't speak for comedians. I don't know why you guys are shoving this agenda down people's throats. Definitely go watch it just so
3: you can so you can punch somebody. No, you know what the Bro, thing is? That's fucking. You know what the thing is? Like people go. Uh, I was having this. I was on back in New York, and some guy says, "Well, well, don't you think you fa- like." I go, no cuz the only fucking gauge is whether someone's actually funny or not Listen, the comedy clubs are businesses people fucking pay money to come in there and fucking laugh and the problem with this occupation is you don't get
0: i'm not so sh- i'm not sure who the uh guy in the blue shirt is uh talking right now I- I'm not sure of his name so apologies but uh who- whoever he is He's absolutely right. The job of a stand-up comedian is to make the audience laugh. That is the job of a comedian. And uh, this PC stuff has gone way too far. Tripoli uh, is about ready to call Jed Apatow in the best way possible. It, it's, it's actually hilarious, folks.
3: good till you got 20 fucking years in and you can't just go fucking changing the rules just because you say that the fucking world is but like you know the the audience dictates what the fuck i talk about because they're fucking laughing at it i mean you can't i mean you you can't fucking create art like that that's ridiculous i'm with you dude
1: it's fucking ridiculous apatow is a fucking benedict arnold to what we fucking do He's been got cheat codes to get where he is. His family is high up in entertainment. He's fucking a trust fund kid. And now he's coming in, and he's doing this fucking agenda shit. We always know. We don't even need to watch Judd Apatow's fucking shows or see his tweets to know what his take is. And it's across the board. At one point. Anybody white guy with a dick is evil no matter what they well, do. Well, isn't he a white guy with a dick? Yeah. But, dude, well, that does the same shit. And no silence.
2: At one point, uh, they're all staying in the comedy condo together. Dub David off the
0: headliner. Did they? D- pew
1: pew air
0: horn. Uh, if I had the sound effects board hugged up right now, uh, you know, I I would totally be playing that. Triple is absolutely right here. The, this whole you know PC a, agenda and stand up comedy, it, it doesn't work. It just, you know, it doesn't. That is one area where I will give uh, Owen Benjamin, uh, you know, credit for saying that, you know, colony and social justice don't work well together. But again, that, you know, that's not really like an Owen Benjamin thing. Everyone knows that political crackness and stand-up comedy don't go well together. It's so simple. So, uh, well, you know, th- we have 11 minutes. Let's, let's see where this clip awaits us because I, I think it gets better, but it's been a while since I've played this. So, uh, let's see.
2: Quoted him to feature act because they got complaints on the comic cards. So they promote Pete Holmes to headliner. So he's, you know, it never, never happens. And he comes back to the comedy condo after he has a killer set, and they're drinking tea. He goes, what the fuck is this? Let's go do some shots. Let's hang out. What am I doing? She goes, you can go do some shots. We're drinking tea.
1: Oh, my God, dude.
3: That is that is First social of, justice and warrior and porn. You know what? By the you way. know where? You know what the real problem is, bro. The problem is they got the headliner staying in the condo. That <laughs> never happens. Yeah, that
1: fucking never happens, bro. I Ain't staying in the condo. Kiss dicks, you, dude. you know what I mean? I don't fuck, know why everybody would be okay with this show going on. And I don't know I why understand. Doug Davidoff would take that role. He well, has enough he, money. But didn't isn't he on the show? Yeah, he's like a reoccurring guy. Yeah, well, they just killed that character off. (laughs) No, he's allowed to... Oh, no, maybe we'll
3: have a... Look, Fucking, maybe we'll have an awakening come out and do jokes about socks misses from his dryer.
1: People (laughs) who are afraid of fucking the truth uh, that the game is a hard game and you got to work are going to fucking support this thing. And the people who grind... By the way, the women who are huge in comedy... For the most part, not 100%, but for the most part, are not the ones co-signing this Me Too bullshit. They're not up there crying about how hard it is to be them. They fucking grind. Dude, the ones who know that they don't got what it takes to actually go are trying to create bumper bowling comedy, which is like, put the bumpers in the gutter so I can't get gutters so I can fucking... Dude, it's,
3: it's like the alternative cutting comedy movement back in the fucking day. It's like, you know, I I grew up watching the fucking best of the best. It was fucking jokes. It was your writing. It was punchline, punchline, punchline. And now you going gotta- to... Alright, so,
0: uh, you know, Sam Tripple and this whole entire lineup, they absolutely nailed uh, it, ladies and gentlemen. This this whole new age of, uh, you know, social justice invading stand-up comedy, it's going to kill the uh, comedy game. And I, I'm, I'm glad that people are starting to wake up to it. And the comedians are uh, saying, no, fuck you, we're going to... We're going to tell our jokes the way we want. We're not going to let the uh the social justice BS uh invade our uh craft. You know, I'm not I'm not a stand-up comedian uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not I'm not even a sit-down comedian. But uh you know, I I I think I understand how comedy dynamics work a little bit. And uh you know you don't uh you don't make people laugh by, you know, sucking all the humor out of a joke, which is what political correctness does. So uh anyway, but again to my point, this is what I'm talking about. The fact that Sam Triple is, you know, anti social social justice, that means more to me than the fact that he may be socially liberal on some more topic on some other topics okay if you're a liberal and not a leftist we're gonna get along right? sure you and I may disagree uh, on political topics but if you're just a guy who's like you know or a gal who's just kind of like chill, just wanting to hang out and you know have a have a good time and uh, you know if you're being cordial and you know funny or just if if you're not being a social justice warrior, we're gonna we're gonna get along right. If you uh, come into a a room with me and you start spewing uh, you know social justice warrior crap about How, uh, you know, you're oppressed and how uh, I'm, you know, a cis white male patriarchy, Nazi, homophobic, transphobic, whatever the fuck phobic uh, you think I am. That's when we're going to have problems. Yeah, that is when we're going to have problems. So, uh, you know, this is the reason why the right is winning more of the culture war than the left is, is because... We're actually understanding what, uh, you know, what people like and what they don't like. We have senses of humor, the left doesn't. Uh, that's painfully obvious by now. And, uh, you know, we're not, uh, we're not degenerates either. So, uh, speaking of stand up comedy and whatnot, so the alt right. Has pretty much gone up in flames. They're totally disorganized. Um, they're stepping all over each other, uh, and by outright I mean like the hardcore, you know, neo-Nazi, uh, you know, Spurgs. the the uh, the U- the UTR people, the the you know, they will not replace us, people. Those spergs. Uh the Ethno. Statesburgs. They're, uh, they're all disorganized, they don't know what to do, and, uh, it's hilarious to watch them you know, infighting with each other on Twitter and other social media networks, those that are still on Twitter. Uh, so, to commemorate their, uh, Descendants into Chaos and Madness, I figured I would play this, uh, hilarious, Bit from Doug Stanhope On Nationalism And uh How stupid it, it is Now uh you know Disclaimer I don't think nationalism is fully stupid I think that there are some Valid elements of nationalism But but you know as far as the Comedy bit goes This uh really does work And it flies completely In the face of what you know, these, uh, ethno-state alt-rightsbergs, spurgs think. So, uh, here's, this is an old clip from, uh, Doug stand-up, too. I, I think this is from his stand-up special in 2006 or 2007. So, you know, this one is at least 12 years old. Probably more at this point. But, uh, I saw this on YouTube, and I just couldn't resist... Uh, playing this for you guys. So here is, uh, Doug Stanhope on the stupidity of nationalism. Uh, cut number one, go. Uh.
4: Nationalism does nothing but teach you how to hate people that you never met and. All of a sudden, you take pride in accomplishments you had no part in whatsoever, and you brag about. Yo. Like the Americans you go, fuck the French! Fuck the French! If we hadn't saved their ass in two world wars, they'd be speaking German right now. You go, oh, was that us? That was us? Was, was that me and you, Tommy? We saved the French? Oh, Jesus! I know I blacked out a little bit after that fourth shot of Jägermeister last night, but I don't, I don't remember. I know we went through to Wendy's drive-thru. We were going to get one of them fresh set of sandwiches. It looked so alluring on the commercial, but then we ordered it and realized we had no money and we had to ditch out before the second window. And that was... Sh- Dave bags in line behind us with the bass music. Probably got our order. and out. We laughed about that, but I don't remember saving the French. I, I went through the last ten calls on my cell phone, and there's nothing incoming or outgoing to the French looking for muscle on a project. I checked my pants. There's no
0: muscle. By the way, I love the, the thing that amuses me the most about this, and maybe it's just because I'm a millennial, but, uh, the thing that amuses me is Stanhope does this whole bit while, uh, holding a cigarette and a beer in his hand. You know, and, like, in 2007 is when, uh, is when the Thank You for, thank you for Smoking came out. And that, that was, like, that big point in time when, like, the, 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 you know, PC people and the, uh, The SJWs on both the left and the right were, you know, into the, oh, stop smoking, you know, that was kind of, like, the whole push to, like, get rid of smoking in, like, popular media. It never went anywhere, but, uh, you know, so the fact that Stan Ope's at a, is doing his, uh, stand-up special for that year and holding a cigarette in his hand and a beer is just... You know, I, I I get that that's one of Stanhope's gimmicks. I've I've recently gotten into Doug Stanhope, and you know it's pretty clear that that's one of his things. But it's uh it's hilarious nonetheless, and I love it. All right, continuing on, just had to make that comment. It's it was too good not to notice.
4: Blood stains on the knees from where we were garrotting crouts in the trenches at Verdun. I think we didn't do anything but watch sports bloopers while we got hammered. I think we should shut the fuck up. That's silly. All that stuff tradition and heritage it's dead people's baggage quit carrying it Uh, did you make it up no it's passed on to me pass it back (laughs) every immigration argument that you hear they they never come from a, a well how does it affect you personally well you know these immigrants they come to our country they burden our tax system. What they do is they come here and they get into our education system and our health care and I'm going to pay the taxes. My taxes have to pay that. Well, what the fuck are you doing to me every time you have a kid? Every time you have a kid because it's American, I should pull up a chaise lounge and wave a flag while 15 of those things come out of you. Pay every... Oh, I can't wait to pay for these. They're American. I have a vasectomy and an abortion on my record, but I can't wait for all your fucking fat-headed Ms. Midwestern kids to come out of you. What, are you a Catholic? Come on, be fruitful and multiply. Love it, love it. I'll oh, get a second job. No, keep... Well, these immigrants, they don't fuck... They don't speak the language. They don't talk to them. <laughs> I solved your problem. That was quick. Oh, you know who speaks the, the language part. perfectly? Your next door neighbor. You've lived there eight and a half years. You've never said one fucking word to that guy. <laughs> You avert eye contact should you check the mail at the same time. Oh, <laughs> so why would you give a shit with the guy selling Gnipgnoffs in a cart in the park speech? It's none of your fucking business. Oh, and all this, all the cliched arguments, like that, well, they're, they're lazy, they're shiftless, and they're criminals and all this. they All those arguments go against the main cliched argument of their taking American jobs. I live on the Mexican border. I live seven miles off the Mexican border in a town, Bisbee, Arizona, a little town. <laughs> I can go out any day and watch Border Patrol arresting these guys by the dozen, 11 at a time out of a Dodge Army, like a clown car with plastic cuffs. <laughs> and you're right, they don't speak the language and they probably have no education. They don't have fucking shoes half the time. they like barefoot and tattered castaway, like Gilligan's Island shorts, and a eh, fucking dirty t-shirt, and dehydrated, and in the desert for four days. And if that guy is as qualified for your job as you are, you're a fucking loser of such <laughs> epic, humiliating proportions. I would be ashamed... To have anyone find out that guy took my job. He doesn't speak English. What, did they do your job training in pantomime, shithead? <laughs> oh, see the color? Poink, poink. I see, point. boink. Crank, 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 crank. <laughs> oh. You're oh. out of here, mullet head. That guy's more qualified. <laughs> Fucking asshole! You should have tried harder. Nobody bitches about immigrants taking a job if that person has skills of any level. You Not know, here, fucking brain surgeon sitting around the Beverly Hills Hotel lounge. You know what really chaps my ass, Barry? <laughs> Scandinavian fellas are coming over taking all our good neurosurgery positions. The Norwegians, specifically. I say we down ourselves a bottle of Jack Daniels and go stomp us some Ouija-ass. The first Ouija we see. We <laughs> jump, jump out of that Explorer and pound him. Uh, fucking immigrants. All started with that Einstein. Once they brought him over from Germany and we didn't have any good genius jobs, it was a trickle-down effect. <laughs>
0: So uh, yeah, that's that is stand for you. Like I said, I haven't gotten, I haven't seen much of his comedy yet, but uh, I'm starting to get, to get into him, and I I like what I'm uh seeing and hearing so far. He, he might go on my top ten list eventually. So uh, if any of you who uh, are regulars have any good uh, stand up bits or anything that you want to send me on Twitter or whatever. Uh, please feel free to I, uh, or any other good comedy bits that you think I might like. I'm I'm always open so uh All right folks well that's pretty much the uh, show except for uh, today is March 1st. so uh, happy first in the month. It is also uh, the seven-year anniversary uh, since Andrew Breitbart passed away. And... um, I never knew Andrew Breitbart personally, but the man's impact on my career as a political commentator uh, cannot be overstated. I know I've told this story before on the Whitfield Analysis, which was my old podcast. I, I don't think I've told it here, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to because I... Because, uh, you know, with this new audience, I I think, I think it's important why you understand, that you understand why Breitbart was so critical, uh, in me doing what I'm doing right now. So as I explained, uh, last week on the Thursday podcast, uh, Rush Limbaugh was the one who got me interested in, in podcasting and political commentary. As I mentioned, um, as I mentioned, I was always interested in politics and comments and, you know, U.S. history when I was growing up in school. Uh, so, you know, when I was in junior high, I decided to make a political podcast, just for the hell of it, and, uh, you know, I basically did my, like, best Rush Limbaugh, uh, knockoff, as best I could, and, uh, believe it or not, it actually got, like, a few, uh, listens, and then, I, uh, I also mentioned how, I became one of the first, uh, like, red pill, I became one of the first, uh, red pilled millennials, uh, to how bad political correctness was because I merely questioned Obama's voting record, which was non-existent in 2008, and I got, you know, accused of racism by, uh, by lots of people. All because I questioned Obama's voting record, like, it had nothing to do with his race or anything at that point. So, you know, that was kind of what kick-started my career as a political commentator. Now, I, uh, I, I, I admire Rush Limbaugh, and I still admire him to this day, but you know, truth be told, and Mersh even mentioned this when I had him on, uh, the podcast a few weeks ago. Mersh from, uh, Nightwave Radio and ROTC. Uh, the conservative movement is, uh, unfortunately super uncool. And, uh, really up until Trump's era, they did not know how to communicate with you know, younger, with like people under fifty, or you know, really even under sixty, I would say they were terribly unhip. They they didn't know how to win the culture war at all. In fact, you know, up until the era of Trump, I would say that most of the uh, quote unquote conservatives uh, were were largely ignoring the culture war. That was until Andrew Breitbart came along who was really, I would say the uh the godfather of the new conservative movement, the kind of the rebirth that I came out of of you know of younger people uh and by younger people. I don't just mean millennials but Gen Xers as well who understand culture who understand. You know the internet. Who understand how to use the internet effectively? Uh, who understand meme power and you know trolling effectively? You know to get a, a message across. Like Breitbart understood the internet culture. He understood pop culture just in general, and he understood how to turn cons- how to turn the conservative movement into a counterculture. And he was absolutely uh, inst- instrumental in uh, in just how I formed the format for the show. Like, before really encountering Breitbart's style, I was more of just doing like, you know, straight reading the news and uh, going over what I thought the news of the the day was like, in more of a news format. But then once I encountered Andrew uh, Breitbart's work, I started, you know, doing a little more pop culture stuff, like uh, I was doing today. You know, uh, exposing political correctness through humor and through satire. Uh, You know, just having fun with the show. That was one of the things that Breitbart really, you know, influenced me to do. And on uh, and on the day he died, I'll I'll never forget this. Um, he passed away when I was a junior in high school, and at the time, like I had been doing the the podcast, the field analysis on blog radio for like two or three years at that point. And, uh, you know, I was doing okay, but I wasn't, uh, growing fast enough, really for, you know, what I, what I thought would be worth it. Like I wasn't, I just wasn't growing fast enough to where I thought it would be worth it. Like, I liked doing it, but I was, I was getting depressed because it seemed like no matter what I did, I wasn't really getting discovered at all. Like, people weren't noticing me. And, uh, it was really discouraging. And on the day when, uh, when, when Breitbart passed away, I remember I actually watched his full uh, CPAC speech, which I highly encourage you guys to watch, and uh, I'll play an excerpt from that later. But I remember watching that speech, and all of a sudden, it was like a light clicked in my head. Like, not only was I... What did I feel like re-inspired to continue podcast? It was like it was almost like I had been been given a clean slate in the sense that I just I felt the it felt like reinvigorated. I felt a new purpose for doing the podcast, and I, I felt like I felt almost need to continue Breitbart's uh, legacy of fighting the culture war and of fighting the left and of helping to promote conservative values. I mean, it his death really impacted me, and of course it was sad, but in a sense I think Breitbart's passing activated a whole generation of conservatives, myself included, to really step up their game and you know, start creating great content, which is why I, uh, you know, I might not be a perfect content creator, but, uh, I think I do pretty damn good for myself, and it was, uh, the motivation from Breitbart's, uh, spirit that I think really has pushed me. So, uh, I want to play one clip that I think really was one of the awesome ones that really activated, uh... Kind of the flame that influenced me to do what I'm doing now with the Whitfield report and take the show really seriously. This was my big aha moment. Like this is when everything, uh, clicked for me. This was the, uh, hating Breitbart, uh, war trailer. Many of you have seen this, but, uh, this came out the day or two after Breitbart died. And it really hit me like a freight train. And from watching this clip on, I was activated. I had my mission. And I've been a man on a mission ever since. So here is the uh, Hating Breitbart clip. This is the... Uh, th- this is the monologue that Andrew gave that really activated me. I felt as if he was speaking to me directly. Cut number one, uh, go.
5: I am so sick of the media dictating the terms of the narrative in this country i'm so sick of having to be apologetic for who i am i'm so sick of people in middle america being called a flyover country or slope-headed conservative teabaggers it's going to be teabagging day it's hard to talk when your are teabagging it's so funny because the teabaggers the one thing they hate
3: is when you call them racist if racism is not the whole of the tea party it is in its heart
2: the <laughs> hatred that is Timothy McVeigh, that he had. There are plenty of people like that right now. Lawson.
0: I think you get the general tenor of this. It's
3: anti government, since this is highly promoted by the right wing conservative
4: network. Fox.
5: The left pits people against each other. Divide and conquer is the strategy. I don't want to live in that world. It is the exact opposite of e pluribusona. Oh, no. oh,
1: He said he was. He, he, okay, racist. Racist. he said he and was. Racist. Racist. He said he was. He said he was. So he with. said he, he was. said he said And you're going to be dealt with. He said It's going to come to light who you really are. It's going to come to light who you really are. Hey, let's answer one question yes or no. What about the fake person? Yes or no.
5: And what the left has stood for with political correctness is to try and get those with whom they disagree to shut up. And the Tea Party movement and Sarah Palin and Michelle Bachman and Alan West and and all the all the people that have gone out there against the mainstream media and said, you're going to call us racist. You're going to call us potential Timothy McVeigh's. Fuck you. War.
0: By the way, Hating Breitbart is a great film. Uh, it's probably actually my favorite documentary of all time. I'm not even joking. I've watched it at least five times, uh, and with today being the anniversary of Breitbart's death, I'm probably going to watch it again uh, tonight, maybe. But you know, I've I've been blessed to have been given this platform. The Whitfield Report to really uh, not only spread my views and to help spread conservatism from my perspective, but to also uh, join in with other conservatives and other conservative libertarians. Uh, people like Dan Sandini, uh, people like the, the late Leo Stratton, when he was a guest on this show. Uh, good people like Chuck uh, Mersch Royce uh, countless others uh, Ryan Marhoffer Ariane Rollins just name, a, name of the few of the guests that I've had on over the years it's been an honor to have uh, every single one of you on and it's an honor to have you all as my listeners too now exposing the left is important, but it's also important to make sure that our ranks, uh, stay, you know, pretty copacetic as well. And that's why, uh, I've been so persistent on the Owen Benjamin thing lately. As I've said before, not to go on a whole Owen tangent again, but but the reason why I, uh, Get on Owen Benjamin's case so much is because I do not believe, after my experience in the Unbearables, I do not believe Owen is a conservative at all. The whole unbearable cult thing is, is his self-centered, narcissistic, uh, you know, personality complex, having a stranglehold ob- over everyone else. He's not a free speech warrior, he's simply trying to cash in on the woke factor of conservatism. Uh, he's said just absolutely anti-Semitic and horribly racist shit. Not for, uh, not for comedy purposes at all, either. Like, he legit means it. That that, that's the reason why he had Eric Nimmer as his, uh, opening act for so long was as his racial you know, as his buffer so he could say racist shit all the time. And uh you know, and and it's not just him, there are there's like, you know, Crowder who uh may have started off with, with good intentions. I know that Crowder used to work with Andrew Breitbart back in in the day, um, and you know, maybe Crowder started out as being an honest conservative. Ever since la- launching the M- Mud Club and ever since getting rid of not gay Jared, the the quality of that show has gone way down, and it's just become another me, me, me fest. Um, so you know, this it's disappointing to see him fall too. I'll admit, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not, I'm not perfect, I have flaws, uh, this show isn't always flawless, Uh, I stumble sometimes, but, uh, hey, I'm not trying to make this show perfect either, I, I want this show to be real, that's why I don't have a green screen or any of that crap, I might not have, like, fancy, uh, uh, visual effects, or anything like that, but, uh. You know, I think I try and put out a good show. I really appreciate all of you. And uh, I want to leave you with uh, some words from Andrew Breitbart. Uh, this is in, in regards to supporting the, uh, the candidate, whoever they may, may be. Uh, when I... Back in 2015, a large portion of my audience were actually believe it or not never Trumpers, and uh, when I said I would support Trump as the candidate, they were all shocked as to why I said that and uh, this was in the in the general and, uh, and I played this clip for them then and said this is exactly why because we need to support the candidate whoever they may be, otherwise the left wins. And uh, you know this is why unity in the conservative movement is so important. But but it's also important why we keep our ranks, you know, pretty clean too. So this is Breitbart on standing with the the conservative candidate, whoever they may be. This is also from his final CPAC speech, ladies and gentlemen.
5: The mainstream media refuses to tell you that these are the same shock troops that have been shocking us, pointing their fingers at us, trying to instigate riots with the police. These people are the definition of un-American. So you want a unity speech? You want a unity speech? I'll give you a unity speech. I don't care who our candidate is, and I haven't since the beginning of this. I haven't. Ask not what the candidate can do for you, ask what you can do for the candidate. And that's what the Tea Party is. We are there to confront them on behalf of our candidate. I will march behind whoever our candidate is because if we don't, we lose. There are two pads. There are two pads. One is America, and the other one is Occupy. One is America, the other one is Occupy. And I don't care. Along the way, along the way, along the way, and I'm not a candidate, I'm never going to be a candidate, I'm just a goofball from Los Angeles who wears goofy shoes, promised people I would shave, didn't, promised people I'd take a shower, I got too caught up talking to everybody, and here I am, kind of a mess, but kind of excited to be here. Because over the last three years, I've realized that the Republican Party and the conservative movement is not what ABC and CBS puts on the screen. They try to portray you in the worst possible light. And when I walk through CPAC, where I travel to the United States to meet people in the Tea Party who care, black, white, gay, and straight, anyone that's willing to stand next to me to fight the progressive left, I will be in that bunker. And if you're not in that bunker because you're not satisfied with this candidate, more than shame on you, you're on the other side.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen. So, this is a this is a story from Breitbart.com. It's not really a story, but because today is the anniversary of Breitbart's death, they uh, they actually put one of Andrew's best quotes online, and so I want to read it for you. Because this is relevant to what I'm doing today. I feel that this is my call now. And I feel that this is the call that everyone else should take up as well. Quote, I'm fighting back against years and years of the cultural and political left telling people to sit down and shut up. And I'm finally telling a bunch of people, whether it be a conservative or a libertarian, on a college campus, whether it be an actor or, or a director in Hollywood who wants to make a movie that represents his worldview, I'm saying I'm going to lead the charge. And you want to follow me? Fine. And there are people who are following me. I want to make things equal. I want people to have a free and open voice, ladies and gentlemen. That is, that is what Andrew Breitbart said in uh, 2012 one of the things he said and I think that this quote is well it pretty much sums up what I'm all at we're fighting back against the cultural and political left we're making conservatism cool again we're making America cool again the idea of Americanism as a culture not as an ethnostate But as a concept. Breitbart was a uh, great man. Andrew, we still miss you. Thank you for inspiring me. And thank you for inspiring countless others. May you rest in peace wherever you are, my friend. Alright, ladies and gentlemen. uh, Thank you for tuning in to the Whitfield Report uh, Friday edition. I'll be back tomorrow for the show live. 8 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on this uh, YouTube channel. YouTube.com forward slash Whitfield Report. Also on Apple Podcasts, just search the Whitfield Report. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, and God bless, God and God save this great nation. I'll see you tomorrow, folks, on the Whitfield Report. God bless.
1: Thank you.